Hi guys, welcome back to another FPL Nations podcast uh, with myself, Callum Harris, and I have with me my co-host Dominic Tyrell. Um, I think this week we're going to be looking at the game week roundup. Uh, we've got a few talking points from this week. You know, Rafinha still scoring. We've got we'll have a look at Gallagher again. Uh, the Leicester Newcastle game, Tierney, maybe some benchings. We'll chat about how our cup games went, how our transfers went, um, lots of things like that. We've we've got some general discussion around the fixtures, the good form players, the where we think the template may be heading, and we'll have a look at next week's games as well, transfers, predictions for midweek and things like that. Uh, Dom, how are you? How was your week in um, FPL? Yeah, I have. I've had. I think probably my best week in FPL so far. Last week, it was aided by the fact that, well, one, I wasn't really affected by the COVID breakout that affected Tottenham players and uh, you know some other players. So that really saved me, and as a result, I also didn't need to take a hit. I had two free transfers going into the game week and. I made the wise decision of waiting until the final moment before making my transfers. The chances themselves weren't actually that all that um, impressive, to be honest. One return. So my two transfers, if I can remember myself very quickly, were right. So Jimenez to Dennis, which was immediate because Jimenez was sent off and Dennis scored. So that was immediate success. But the other one wasn't that great in Bowen from Jota to Bowen, even though Bowen ended up outscoring Jota by like two points. And Bowen himself didn't get a, a return, he just got a clean sheet point. Um, but I'm not too mad about that, Bowen is a, a long-term buy because of West Ham's fixtures, so I'm looking to the future with him. Um, outside of that, as I said, I had a great week. I think I jumped nearly 90k places for my Green Arrow, and I'm finally, finally into the um the, the top 100k. I've been aiming for that since the beginning of the the season I finally hit it. Yes. Um, I think I'm 94, 90, around 94k right now. Um, you know, so I'm aiming to just continue upwards. Um, I'm trying my best to keep the momentum forward. One of the things that I will say going forward though is that you know, what saved me is something that I learned and I learned that very quickly. Um, is the fact that I held on to my transfers. I ensured that I didn't fall into the trap again because I fell into it last time by buying Brentford's keeper, Rhea, very early in the game week. That was a game week that Norwich collected seven and I owned Crew. So I immediately wanted to sell him. Like as as the Chelsea game was going on, I sold Crew. I didn't even wait for the game week to finish. And I bought in Rhea and then a few days after I heard that he was out for an extended period of time. I couldn't believe my luck. So I had to spend points to buy McCarthy in a week that I otherwise would not have needed to um, spend any points. Um, so I learned from that and that saved me this week, you know. So I'm definitely going to use that as my advice going forward. And with the news that's outcoming, upcoming, probably we'll discuss that later. It's very important to continue to wait um, as close as possible to the deadline these days with your transfers. So. Yeah, great week. I'm um, looking forward to more. How uh, was your week, Cam? Definitely. Yeah, just to back up that opinion as well, I think it's best to wait up until the deadline to be making our transfers. There's always seemingly a new um, COVID outbreak 
or someone getting injured just before the deadline. This week, I may have not been so lucky. I didn't really get the news of uh, Jota being potentially not playing until the very last minute. And I'd already made my transfer, so I already did an injured Smith throw to Bowen. Or so I thought an injured Smith throw anyway. It turns out that both uh, Smith Rowe and Jota both ended up. Did Smith Rowe come on? I can't actually remember. Well, I suppose we'll cover that yep. soon. But yeah. Um, yeah, Jota ended up coming on for one point. But luckily, I had a strong enough bench that I could just bench him. Like we said, we were in quite a privileged position last week because we didn't have any Tottenham players. We didn't have any. Well, I had Ivan Tony, but I was planning on taking him out anyway at some point. Um, none of us had any Brighton players, so we we could really spend our transfers looking forward and not taking hits instead of putting out fires. And I think for your week, that really showed because, like you said, you got 87 points, 90k green arrow into the top 100k from about just under 200k, so you literally halved your rank. Um, and that's the the power that other people taking hits and you being ahead of the game, i.e. you had a transfer to spare to go to Dennis rather than, say, putting out a fire uh, with Regulon that you would have to do a defender spot for or something like that. Um, So, yeah, no, I fully agree with that point. Um, My game week I thought was going to go really well when I started started the week. So, obviously, the first game with um, Watford. Dennis scored, and I thought, great, this is going to be a brilliant week. I've got nine points from Dennis. I didn't take a hit. I made two transfers. I'm ahead of the curve. And then it kind of just went sour. Um, A lot of the players that I don't own returned. So it was obviously um, Rudiger, Ronaldo, Gallagher, and Bumo, sorry, Um, Rafinha. All returned, and they're heavily, they're highly owned players that, in my opinion, possibly shouldn't have returned so high. Obviously, Rudiger was, you know, he's a good player, and he's obviously getting himself into those positions. But realistically, he shouldn't be getting two assists for being brought down in a penalty area. And you'll take them all day long because you've got him in your team. But for me, that's a little bit, a little bit frustrating. A lot of people getting Rafinha and, and Bumo points from their bench and. Um, you know, Mbumo scoring a 94th minute penalty, uh, Rafinha getting a goal against Chelsea. Um, all of those I felt were probably slightly unfortunate for me. They obviously knocked a lot of points off my off my rank. Um, and then Ronaldo as well. In fact, all all the ones that um, all the points I seem to lose to this week all came from penalties. Uh, but yeah, Ronaldo got his penalty as well, and I do want him in because he's the only one with out of those lot with really good fixtures going forward. Um, but yeah, obviously I had Alexander Arnold and Cancelo returning, Ramsdale getting eleven points, Bernardo again. I think he got an assist. Uh, Salah obviously got got a return. Dennis played very well, got a return. Uh, but then I had James on zero, Bowen on three, Benteke on one, Wilson on two, Gundogan on one. It was a bit, yeah, uh, yeah. It was it was very average. I didn't really lose that many that many places. But given how I started the week, I took a 
a 6k red arrow i went from 33k to 39k i, I really i really really thought at the start of the week when dennis scored and um everyone had taken two and a half points worth of hits that i might be getting some sort of green arrow this week but it wasn't to be and my team going forward is still looking good so i'm i'm still happy with my team as it looks but we'll see we'll see how it goes Shall we quickly run through the predictions that we made at the end of the last week? Cause yes, and I forgot to ask you about them during the week, yeah. Yeah, that'd be Definitely. Cool. So, I noticed at one point I had one of them spot on, which was the Man City Wolves game, I think. I got that one spot on, but... Um, yeah, I got that one wrong. So, if, if you could read out the scoreline, maybe, and I'll tell you what we predicted and... We'll see who comes away with the most points at the end. So the first game to be played was, I think, Brentford-Watford. What was the score from that one? Brentford-Watford ended 2-1 to Brentford with a 94-minute penalty. Yes, it did, didn't it? And we both predicted a Watford win as well. Yep. Well, that was unfortunate because Brentford scored two in overtime, didn't they? Extra time, injury time, sorry. Um... So, I'd predicted 3-1 to Watford, and you'd predicted 2-0 to Watford. I don't think either of us saw Watford not scoring quite a lot of goals, but obviously, Brentford played out very well. Watford may have a slightly leakier defence than we anticipated, and didn't really score as many goals as we'd hoped. But that's okay. Uh, The next game was Man City Wolves. That was 1-0, wasn't it, if I remember rightly? Yep. So that for me, that prediction actually came in. I, I predicted one nil to Man City, and you predicted two nil to Man City. We both got the right winners, but I managed to get the goals right. What was the next game? I don't recall that one. I think it's Arsenal Southampton. I don't remember. What yeah, three nil, three nil to Arsenal. Three nil to Arsenal. Okay. So our predictions were: uh, I said one nil to Arsenal and you said, we both said 1-0 to Arsenal in fact so that's just a, a single point for each of us um, Chelsea leads 3-2 now it's a game of how many two penalties three penalties yeah yeah the game of penalties so I'd predicted 3-0 to Leeds and you predicted 2-0 to Leeds sorry 3-0 to Chelsea yeah. and 2-0 to Chelsea sorry yeah um the next game after that was Liverpool Aston Villa. Yeah, one 0 um, to Liverpool. That was 1-0 to Liverpool, wasn't it? I predicted 2-1 to Liverpool. So I get the goal difference point for that one. And I think you predicted 3-1 to Liverpool. So still the correct result. Um I think maybe we thought it might be a slightly higher scoring match than it was. Obviously Aston Villa's defence is is surprisingly actually looking okay considering they only lost 1-0 to Liverpool and Liverpool have been smashing three past everyone, basically. Yep. So it's definitely one to watch if Aston Villa have some good fixtures. Um, the next one was Norwich-Manchester United. Um, that was 1-0 to United. Now penalty. Hey, that's exactly what I predicted. So I've got Norwich nil, Manchester United 1 and you've got Norwich nil, Manchester United 2. 
But yeah, like you said, the Ronaldo penalty was the difference. Again, Norwich, very good defensively. Um, next one was Burnley-West Ham. That was nil-nil. Mm-hmm. As a West Ham fan, a, a disappointing nil-nil as well, because I'd really hoped we'd uh, win that one. I think we're in jeopardy of losing our fourth place now. Um, I predicted 2 all in that one. And you predicted 3-1 to West Ham. Okay, get the points there. Leicester Newcastle. Now, this was an interesting one because we both put draws down by... Obviously, Leicester won 4-0, didn't they? 4-0, So, yeah, that's... As Wilson owners, we were really hoping that Vardy and Wilson would absolutely bang. And it turns out that neither of them banged. Vardy was benched and Wilson didn't score. (laughs) So... Just peed. Yeah, just pain, just pain. Crystal Palace Everton is the last game of that week. Three uh, one to Crystal Palace with the two Gallagher goals. The two Gallagher goals right at the end as well. One of them. Um, I'd predicted two one to Everton, and you'd predicted one all. So I don't think either of us got the points for that one. And just lastly, I suppose just to mention that the Tottenham Burnley game was called uh, Tottenham Brighton game was called off, wasn't it? Yep, it was. So overall, I think I came out with 12 points. One, two, five. Ah. Um, so I think I came away with 12 points. I was quite lucky with a couple of my predictions, the Man City Wolves and the Norwich Manchester United in three-pointers, and I had a couple of twos as well. I came away yeah. with 12 points. Uh, and I think you got quite unlucky with some of your predictions as well. Uh, you came away with five points. So at the end of this one, we'll predict Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday's scores and we'll see how we get on then. Yeah, um, for sure. Shall we move on to some talking points from the, the weekend then? Because there's a few things I think we want to talk about. So we'll start with um, Chelsea, I think. So obviously Chelsea played uh, Leeds, who are completely injury-ridden. Um, they haven't got their main striker again, Bamford. But yet Chelsea's conceded two goals to them. And for the third week in a row, Reese James has scored zero points. Is there a reason you think Chelsea are conceding more goals now than they were before? I think, and I'm. this is one of the reasons why I try my best. It's been difficult to keep up with all the games. But this is why I try my best to listen in as much as I look at the games. Because the commentators give you these gold nuggets that really go a long way FPL-wise. And I think now, as the Premier League has recognised the, the fame of FPL, they've been introducing a lot of um, statistics that FPL users use in the game commentary. And one of the things the commentators mentioned was that um, XG-wise, Chelsea have been out of, I think, especially out of the top four, Chelsea in particular have been outperforming the XG and XGC. And for those who don't know what I'm t- talking about, um, XG just stands for expected goals. And that's the amount of goals that a team um, are expected to score within a game, depending on the chances created, the quality of chances, and the amount that are created, that is created throughout, throughout the game, and, well, fixtures in general. And the XGC is the amount of goals conceded, expected goals conceded, so it's the inverse, the, the number of goals that a ex- that team is expected to concede. And then that's obviously based on the opponent's number of chances, quality of chances, etc. 
And on both those ends, Chelsea have been scoring more. So this is what um, over or uh, outperforming they actually means. Chelsea have been scoring more goals than they should based on the chances they've, be they've been creating and the quality that they've been putting out. And they have been conceding way less than they should have. Um, and I guess it's, that has been a talking point from the beginning of the season, the number of clean sheets Chelsea has. It has been um, uh, a value that has been very much over the, what the stats would have told you. Because based off of the chances they have been conceding, and especially the quality of those chances, Chelsea should have conceded a lot more a long while ago. Um, so as the commentator rightly mentioned, with that being in mind, and if you have any kind of background in stats, as I know, Callum does a lot more extensively than I do. Um, you would know that at some point the Waterman will fall off, and the they will either show a big revert to what the mean shows. So, in other words, Chelsea is doing exactly what the stats have been predicting, in that they've been conceding a lot more of late, and they have been scoring. I think they've been scoring around what they would have been scoring before, but definitely have been conceding way more compared to their early season form. So I guess that's definitely something that can be used going forward. And particularly with you as a James owner, who's been feeling the brunt of it with his zero points, which has been mainly due to his um his get yellow card tendency. Um, it might be something that you might want to look at uh, for somebody going forward. It doesn't necessarily mean that you should just get rid of Chelsea defenses, defensive assets entirely, but it is... Um, something to note if you're owner of like two Chelsea defenders as opposed to one. So I'm like an owner of Rudiger, and I have been an owner of Rudiger for um since game week four, and it's helped me because he's never been rotated. He's healthy. He's somebody who makes marauding runs down the field and is definitely a threat on both ends of the of the field, and has been very very consistent in his performances. So. I think that's definitely something that we can use um, to justify or to show this new change in form for Chelsea's defense of elite. Definitely, I think I think just another thing to add as well is obviously this dip in form does seem to coincide with when Chilwell got injured. I'd, obviously, I'm, Alonso is a very good player. I believe he was responsible for the Rafinha penalty. I didn't watch the game. This is just based off memory from what I remember talking to some of the group about um I think Alonso may have missed time to tackle on Rafinha or on someone and Rafinha took the penalty then. Right. Um I don't know if the fact that Chilwell being out has impacted how good the defence is. They've obviously dropped but then again, even against say West Ham for example, when Jorginho made the poor back pass uh, Mendy took the bad touch and got tackled by Bowen, lost the penalty that way. They seem to just be making some defensive mistakes that maybe they weren't making at the start of the season. Right. But I do agree, they are definitely conceding a lot more. And obviously, they'd been conceding these types of uh, chances against them before and maybe outperforming their own XGC. So maybe they were, you know not they getting themselves into bad positions or having shots against them but maybe Edward was sorry uh, maybe Mendy was having a good game saving everything I do recall a specific 1-0 I can't remember who it was against where Mendy pulled out a man of the match performance saving everything 
Khan mentioned in the you know post match interviews and things like that, and maybe maybe now it's just not falling for them as much. Uh, so I, I I do think they're very interested in going forward. Do we also now look at Rafinha? If if you've got Rafinha and you're still holding him, do you now continue to hold him because he's if he can score against Chelsea? Realistically, you know, Crystal Palace and Chelsea actually, I think, are third and fourth best defenses. Maybe you could put Brighton in there as well at the moment. But um, if he can score, you know, they, they were both penalties, but if they're getting themselves into penalty positions, then Rafinha will continue to return. If he can score against those two, is there any reason why you wouldn't hold him through? Manchester City and Liverpool and just see him out the other side? Would you, if you had him now, which I think you do, are you going to hold him now? I guess, um, I guess that, that, that was the thinking I had going into this long run because I had the option of selling him immediately um, because I would have made more money if I sold him um, as opposed to Gallagher, which, you know, ironically was my other option before Jato was injured last week. So, I I did think about it, but as I you know as I said previously, Rafina is going to be the heartbeat of Leeds going forward offensively, simply because he's the most attacking option they have up front, and as a result of that, you're going to guarantee yourself um, a lot of points if you bank on Leeds scoring through him or Leeds getting attacking returns through him, and it's simply because that's the that has been the game game plan if the ball is. In the offensive third, more than likely Rafinha is going to get a touch at least before a shot is taken or an uh, attacking chance is created. Um, so that was my thinking, keeping him in my team, firstly. Um, I can't speak as somebody who believed that he was going to score against Chelsea because I had him first off my bench. But that was the main reason why he was first off my bench and at second, come to somebody like Livermento, who you know, is also um, in a shout of points as well. And that was simply because I believe that if Leeds were going to get anything out of the game, um, it would have been through Rafina. And for the majority of the match, it was. You know, at one point, um, they were level pegging with Chelsea for a while um, before Chelsea went return. And you know how that game went back and forth. But Rafina was really instrumental in a lot of what Leeds did for the entirety of the game, really. And I felt that uh, that was the reason why I kept him there. And also, I planned ahead a little bit because I... I wanted, I really did want Smith Rowe to play, I'm not going to lie, which is why I played him instead of Rafina. Um, even though he was yellow flag, I saw that Arteta was still 50 um, 50 with Smith Rowe. So it seemed as if they wanted him to play once he stated that he was ready to. But clearly, he wasn't, in, he wasn't fully match fit to start the game. I just wanted him to go against a, a Southampton team that I meant to concede a lot. Um, but I also know that if he doesn't play the game at all, that's the that's the other reason why Rafinha was first off my bench because again you know as a midfielder he's going to be an attacking force and there may be points off my bench and that really worked for me this game this game so moving forward I I I don't see myself starting him against uh, Man City to be very honest with you um because again it has been two penalty goals he scored um but the possibility does exist again that something like that can happen against a Man City team who might allow a lead break and especially with the mentality leads have they're known to go to big clubs and attack them or take every attacking opportunity available uh, even if they're depleted attacking me and defensively i don't see why not 
um, with regards to Leeds and attacking City. So the possibility does exist, but I don't think it's big enough for me to start him. For those who still own him, I I would probably tell you what I'm telling myself right now in that if you're going to play him, then you are playing the most attacking option in Leeds um, starting eleven right now. So there is solace in that. And he has returned in the last two games um, with goals that have returned eight, 8 points and 7 points, I believe. Um, so you would be in with a shout of a good amount of points if he does return. But don't expect that it's going to be something that continues against teams that have proper defences because outside of the penalties, he really has not... I can't say he has um, a lot of shooting opportunities because teams will target him defensively. So it's a touch and go and it depends on where your transfers lie. Um, if you have a strong 11, feel that 11 and bench Rafina would be my would be my real recommendation. But if you plan on starting him, then the, I don't see you you aren't completely in the wrong if you feel as if you can start him with the hope of getting returned. Just know that, that that hope is not, you know, really a big one. It is something that can happen, but it's not necessarily something that is going to be predictable. Yeah. Definitely. No, I, I, I fully agree with all those points. Um, I didn't expect Rafinha to do so well going into this tougher period. Obviously, they've both been penalty goals, which is, as a non-owner, that is quite frustrating because... Most that that means they're completely avoidable, and he's not getting the chances in open play. Um, and honestly, when I when I've watched Leeds, I haven't, I haven't watched too much of Leeds, but when I have watched Leeds, the other two that seem li- lively are uh, Dan James and um, oh, what's the name? Uh, Gelhart when he comes on, and I I thought because I know they obviously assisted and scored that final Leeds goal um, to make it 3-2. I, I genuinely thought throughout the whole game that that Dan James actually looked really good. He looks like he's energetic, lively, happy to take players on. He almost looks like he's playing similar to Rafinha, but on the other side. So I think, you know, if, if I'm looking forward and I was ever considering a Leeds double-up, I might actually consider James on the other side. Obviously, Leeds have got good fixtures from game week 20. So definitely from there, I think he could be a really good differential. Yep. Um, so you could have Ravinia and James as your two cheap midfielders. Just see how it goes. You know, I'm considering it. I'm not saying I will do it, but certainly we'll look at it. Should we talk about Crystal Palace and specifically Gallagher? Because obviously Gallagher's another one where He's managed to haul 15 points this week. He's looked good again and he's looked a bit better going forward. He's not sat as deep. And I haven't been able to work out why. I don't know I don't know if you have any insight at all as to why he may be playing slightly more forward again. I did notice that Milvojevic wasn't playing this week. But I didn't really notice any particular formation changes which meant that Gallagher could get slightly more forward? Um well to be very honest with you I didn't I didn't even um I didn't even predict Gallagher's return because he's another person that I had <laughs> on my transfer list before Jota got injured. Um Jota had that injury. Um so I was planning on selling him. Thank God I didn't. 
So I, I'm also with as well with regards to his offensive output. I really, I went to bed. <laughs> Let me be honest with you. I went to bed for that <laughs> Crystal Palace game because I didn't expect anything from Gallagher. And um, at that point, I'd already gotten um, points in and I was satisfied with what happened. But when I got up and I saw he scored two goals, I definitely raised an eyebrow. Um, and then when I saw the goals that he scored, one in the box, um, a square, a square ball for Gallagher waiting in the in the, the penalty box to slot in, and then a, a, a really a screamer of a goal in the nineteenth minute. I I really had to tell myself, okay, he probably probably has a new a newer role now. So I don't know. I do know actually a Crystal Palace fan, which is very rare from where I'm from. Um, so I'm gonna try to get in contact with him, and hopefully, um. Hopefully, I can get some insight on that because I have no idea where this change has come from. I think a lot of us are quite confused over how Vieira is currently rotating. You know, obviously, we'll come onto it shortly with uh, Benteke as well because obviously I predicted him a few weeks ago and he's only returned once in that time because he's been a little bit unlucky and he's missed a couple of really good opportunities. He's looked good. He's looked lively. His XG isn't too bad, uh, but obviously he's been hurt by potentially more rotations than we expected. And I don't know if that's maybe played into Gallagher's hand. I don't know if maybe he plays better with Zaha, Edward and Ayu, or whether it's just coincidence that Gallagher has uh, been involved every time Benteke's been benched. That's the only other thing I've noticed. But yeah, any insights from from your mate if he's a Crystal Palace fan would be greatly appreciated. I'm sure everyone because Crystal Palace look good. I just I just don't know who to get from them. They all look like scoring at any given point. You know, normally Zaha's the talisman for them, but he's been you know compared to Gallagher. He's been quiet compared to Benteke even. He's been a little bit quiet. Um, he could be one to watch, really. But I, if he was going to go off on and have a good few games, you'd have expected that to have already happened now. Um, and obviously from game week 20, or 21 really, um, Crystal Palace's fixtures become poor. You know, they go to West Ham. They go to Brighton, who are good defensively. They go to Liverpool. Um, two after that, they go to Brentford and they go to Chelsea. So they haven't exactly got the easiest set of games after that. So I think we'll have to keep an eye out as to what Vieira does. So I'm not sure where it's obviously working what he's doing. C one three one, but as in from an FPL perspective, it's not overly useful to us. Uh, but Gallagher is still the one to have at the moment. He's still getting himself into good positions, obviously. And he's still... He's got a lot of confidence right now. And I don't know if you saw his post-match interview, but he said... Penteke um, told him, leave it, leave it, I've got it. And Gallagher said, no, I've got it. Took it and shot and scored in the last minute. So, as a Benteke owner, frustrating. But you can see that Gallagher's mindset is quite clearly very confident very very open he's happy playing how he's playing and i'm sure he'll continue to to get points sporadically throughout the season quite well so i think if you've got him right now i would probably say 
to keep him as well because obviously his fixtures are still really good up until game week 20. Um, yeah, for sure. Leicester Newcastle. Now, this is an interesting one because Leicester weren't playing their striker. Leicester benched Vardy and then scored four goals. That can't do Vardy a lot of good, can it? I mean, I think. I mean, I don't want to speak as if I am Vardy, but I think looking at a Newcastle squad where the defense has not really known to keep out a lot of goals, I think he would have looked at it as a scoring opportunity. I'm not saying that he wouldn't be. They wouldn't play a, a mental role where he might be saying, "Wow, you know, look as if they're offensively much better without me." I think he might look at it as this is a game that he expected goals, especially from Le- a Leicester team who, you know, would look at themselves as a team that deserves to be in Europe and deserves to be higher up and in the conversation of the top six. So they they would obviously look at a Newcastle opponent and expect to score goals. Um. So I think he would have expected goals, but I mean the man in which they scored and then the the concept the not the concept, but the the way in which they go, went about getting them. I mean Madison's confidence now seems to the roof. Which as a Vardy owner sucks because it's coming at the point where Vardy's being rotated. And you would love um, a confident Madison to be behind a Vardy who, you know, would just would just need one opportunity to score a goal. Um so I think I think it might play into his hand because the goals that were scored were from what was it what was it one from Madison and two from Telemans or one from Telemans and I think Daka scored the other one. Yeah, I think so Telemans. It wasn't two. Can't remember now. The right. Penalty. Did he get so, take the penalty? I believe. Yeah, Telemans took it because I Madison said in the interview afterwards he wanted to take it, but Telemans took it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess as a striker, you would look at that and say, okay, are these the people who are who would have been behind me are the people scoring the goals? So it's not like my immediate replacement or the person who's in my position is necessarily scoring the goals. So, you know, I mean, going forward, we all know Leicester's MO. Once Vardy's playing, Vardy's going to be the target. Vardy's going to be the focal point um, and the way in which they move offensively. Um, so I don't think it would do him too much of a hand to see that. I think it does make him hungrier. And I think it now guarantees that when he plays against a team like Tottenham, he will look to make a statement. So I guess as somebody who might be holding on to him for another week, I am not too mad at it, mad at, it at all. Definitely. I think, yeah, obviously Newcastle have had the weakest defence this season now. I think obviously where Norwich have improved under Dean Smith, Newcastle have become the... Um, Oh, what's the term? Oh, the kicking boys. The yeah, the people that you target, basically. The whipping boys, that's the one. Um, I think any defence who's coming up against Newcastle, if you've got a nailed striker against Newcastle, you definitely want to be playing them because, yeah, Newcastle aren't looking great defensively or really going forward at the moment. We all thought that because Leicester's defence has been particularly bad recently, that maybe Wilson get a few chances, but honestly, I think Leicester completely dominated the game. They look back to their normal self, really. Um, Man- Madison's one that we'd spoken about a bit on a previous podcast because I said I was going to bring him in on my wild card, or I was considering bringing him in on my wild card. Um, and I- I'm not surprised to see him kick off, kick on, but his fixtures coming up now are quite poor. So I think 
even now I wouldn't be looking to get him in. I'd be looking to just wait until their fixtures get a bit better again. Not exactly sure when that is. I don't think they have good fixtures now until give me 30 or something like that when you'll have a load of double game weeks and stuff like that anyway. So I don't know if he'll be essential. Not essential. I don't know if he'll be worth even looking at then. But for now, he's playing well, but I think he's just coming to the end of his... His... Well, no, game week 19, I suppose, is when his... uh, fixtures really start getting more difficult with Manchester City and Liverpool both in a row and then after that a few I think five bad ones in a row so I think if you have Madison now I'd definitely be looking at keeping him for the short term but to be honest game week 19 I'd, I'm, I'd be quite happy to jump off him at that point Um, other I mean Dakar actually looked quite good when I watched him play I think the commentators were saying that Daka plays a very similar way to how Bardi plays, whereas Ian Atro is more involved in the build-up. So Daka is one of those players who will run in behind defences. He will kind of look to be getting that finishing touch or getting that sort of, I think as we call it in the UK, that sweaty pass to sort of around the keeper to a teammate and then just slot it home into an open yeah. net. Uh, I think that's the way from what I've seen Daka plays. Um, and if you just to change sides here if you're a Wilson owner in this Newcastle side now you've just come up against one of the worst teams recently which defensively which were Leicester and you haven't scored any goals and you haven't looked good if you're a Wilson owner which I think you are as well would you be looking to move Wilson on because I have a little plan for Wilson but I want to know what you think I um when I see this I think this is the thing. Um I've I've sort of devised like a pecking order when it comes to attacking players on my squad. So one of the things that I use when it comes to like order of priority is obviously fixtures. So Wilson was brought in for the fixtures that he had immediately. Um and I think it's only really one game no, two games in a row. He returned. So it was, um, I think, overall, it's been a good value for money. Um, Looking forward, as you mentioned, those fixtures. The person that I immediately wanted to move was Vardy because Vardy is my premium striker. And I wanted to get in somebody like Ronaldo. But I think as we'll touch on later, there's some, you know, possibility that Ronaldo might not play next week. So it may open up an avenue for another transfer elsewhere. You see, my only thing is that because I have two strikers right now who I will be playing next game week, um, which is which are Dennis against Bamford and Vardy against Tottenham, because I'm assuming now Vardy starts this game, yeah. um, it doesn't immediately hurt me because I'm somebody who will be satisfied with two strikers. I never really want to get below two because I like the option of having two players who are the most advanced on the pitch for the team and who are the most likely to score goals. I really would appreciate having those assets on my team as much as possible. So I do see myself in a situation where I'm benching him. Um, and he does have a, a sort of fixture turn. It's it's not that big referring to it from, from, from Newcastle's point of view. But from an attacking point of view for Wilson in particular, he has some games that come that coming up, especially after United fixture, that should present opportunities for goal scoring. 
but it's just that you don't want to be behind the curve and then when it finally reaches that fixture turn you've already lost positions because you fell onto him for too long so mm. immediately i I'm not looking to I'm looking to bench him at least for the next game week. That's the first thing because I, I have an immediate transfer in my midfield that I would like to like to make. Um and that was the transfer I had already planned if Ronaldo's transfer wouldn't go through for any reason. So it wasn't as if I had him on my transfer block originally. But moving forward I'll definitely see what presents itself. And then that's the other issue is that outside of really Ronaldo, who I can only get through Vardy. Um, there's not really many options in his price range. So outside of probably a Jimenez who is playing for Wolves team that is not known for scoring many goals, you have Benteke who's a rotational risk. Um, and probably the other option you can look at is Watkins for for Wilson. But I mean, yeah. Watkins is playing for a team that um, that are still figuring themselves out under Gerard, who have sorted out their defensive problems it seems but haven't been returning offensively to convince me to pay to bring in somebody like Watkins um, for a long run, especially since what uh, Aston Villa themselves, the results haven't been that convincing of late anyway. Um, so I guess outside of that, there isn't really much I can go to, which is probably the other reason why I haven't moved to sell him as yet. So that's where I am right now. Oh, that's definitely fair. I, yeah, I fully agree with that. For me, I'm probably looking at um, selling Wilson right now. Although I'm thinking of going to Josh King from Watford. Watford's fixtures, for me, are still very good going forward. Uh, I think I'll be looking at bringing Josh King in. Watkins is definitely a good shout, and to be honest, if I get rid of Benteke at any point, if he, you know, loses his place or doesn't get as many minutes or returns as I'd like, then I would definitely consider doing... Dennis King and Watkins as my free striker, as my three strikers. I'd really okay. love Ronaldo, but at the moment he just seems unachievable. So at least if I can get Watkins in or something like that, Watkins, King, Dennis, it's a cheap forward line. I can focus on my midfield, I can focus on my defence. And, you know, they're cheap, they return every now and then. The, the strikers aren't the ones to go for this season anyway, so. I'd be quite happy with them, and at least it, I know if Watford score, then it's more than likely going to come through one or both of my players. So that's that's where I'm looking at the moment. But yeah, as a, as a Wilson owner, it's yeah, it's worrying how bad Newcastle are. That's that's the problem. If if Wilson played in a better team, a more attacking team, or you know how Leeds played last season and Brentford play this season, where they concede a lot but they score a lot, that might be good, but. Newcastle rarely score more than one or two goals at most. So yeah. I think holding Wilson for me is is a worry, especially given his fixtures. And against Liverpool and Man City I can see I can see Newcastle absolutely getting the floor wiped from them. I could, yeah, I, I don't think they'll really come out of that unscathed in anywhere. I could probably see them losing both games three or four nil, five nil, something like that. So I think at the moment he he's definitely a sell for me as well. But I think I'll be going for King just to save a bit extra on the money because I don't think there's much between King, Dennis, and Watkins at the moment. Um, especially yes. given that Watford's fixtures are slightly better. Yeah, if I can just touch on that for a minute. So I saw, um, with regards to King and Dennis, 
I saw a lot of people try to jump on him Watford fixed it to him just as we did, but most of them went with King as opposed to Dennis. For those who will find themselves in that situation, so and I think you are mentioning that you want to go to King and Dennis, what would mm-hmm. be the main reasons that what what are the main reasons why you would want to double up on um to Watford strikers in particular? Because you know it's not something that you you would find yourself doing every day. Um, what is convincing you that it's it's something that you want to go with for the long run, or at least for the immediate future, with yeah, two Watford strikers? Just complete lack of alternatives. I don't really see anyone else at their price point. So anyone even below anyone below 30, 12 million, because I think Ronaldo is really the only other one who is worth considering. It's really returning. You know, Antonio, Benteke, um, none of them are really returning at the rate they should. Some of people were touting the Southampton strikers to do quite well, but then they're getting rotated with each other. They're, they're all getting the odd goal every, every week. One of them will get a goal, but then for the one that you own, that's only a goal every three weeks. So they're not really worth it. Um... What once Bamford's back, I think we can we can talk about Bamford, but Bamford's not back for a while now. ECL comes back in a couple of weeks, I think, so I think he's perfectly timed for the Everton fixture swing. So here mm-hmm. I think I'll be looking at getting him in soon. Um But for now there there is literally just a lack of a lack of alternatives. And Watford's attack isn't that bad. Especially under Ranieri, Watford's attack has actually been has been decent there. They're not. They're not good. They're not good in attack, but they are currently sitting in fifteenth, and they haven't exactly been with Ranieri for that long. Um, so I yeah. think they were probably slightly worse when Ranieri took over. And there's not much difference between them and well, all the way up to Brentford, really, who are in sixth. Um, this is for xG per game. So Brentford have an XG per game of 1.38 expected goals a game and Watford have 1.13 and that separates 6th and 15th. So that whole middle group of um, teams all have a very similar XG per game of about 1.25. Um, so Watford are expected to score more than a goal every game, which is definitely more than Norwich, Newcastle, Burnley and Villa can can say at the moment that that's my real reasoning behind it really is more that Watford have two seemingly nailed strikers I know that Dennis goes to AFCON well possibly will be going to AFCON at some point but if you can get both of them they're cheap you can bench one of them if they have a hard fixture you can bench both of them if they have a hard fixture you kind of secure yourself points if they score and given that who Watford have scored against I'd be okay realistically playing at least one of them against any opponent that's my that's my general thinking behind it anyway I think I, I just think they're the only ones who are really on form even then King's King's not massively on form it's Dennis that's on form but King has the stats
like you said earlier, Dennis is, is didn't we, King and Dennis? We were saying he's getting himself in good positions, but it's Dennis who's doing the creating. Everything's going through him. He seems to be the one who's going forward, but he's just not quite getting the stats to back him up. Yeah. So I think, I th- I think that's where my Wilson transfers going. Yeah, to to King. If I can just um digress just for um a second, just to re- revert to mm. something you were talking about earlier. Um, so I know you'd asked about Gallagher, so I just got in touch with. Yeah. So just apologies. Um, just a slight hiccup with the recording, but I was just about to introduce um a point because we were discussing Gallagher earlier, and I had said that I would get in touch with my Crystal Palace friend, and he just got back to me. He told me that. One of the main reasons why Gallagher has been um, in such attacking form of late, especially with his positioning, is as a result of um, Vieira's utilization of him. So what he said um, was that since Vieira has come in, he's been using Gallagher as the main attacking midfielder, so that we're less reliant on the likes of Zaha to do everything for us attacking-wise. Almost everything in attack is going through Gallagher, so at some point, um, his energy is going to be key in the high press that Riera likes to use and then I asked him if this is something that he sees happening for the rest of the season he said definitely um, it's going to be like this to the end of the season so at least from the insider that we have um, from Crystal Palace he's been he's kind of telling us that um, he wouldn't be surprised if Gallagher continues to remain in these attacking positions on the line so at least for the fixture runner he has coming up which I know he has a, a couple of great fixtures coming up I wouldn't it wouldn't be a bad thought to keep him for that run, especially now with um that performance he's put in. I guess confidence wise, as Callum mentioned earlier, gonna be through the roof. I don't like. I won't be surprised if he comes away with um at least another double digit return at some point. Definitely, no, I fully agree. I think um I think he's a good option going forward anyway, and he's cheap as well. He's only six million or so, so. Easy to fit into your squad. You can you can downgrade him from anyone. So yeah, okay. I don't I don't see a problem with keeping Gallagher, especially for the fixtures at the moment. If you do have him, maybe when the fixtures get harder, you might question it. But Crystal Palace have been good enough to to compete with the big boys, and we've seen that really. We've been unlucky with a couple of their losses recently, but they have looked good. So yeah, I I see no reason as to why you wouldn't keep Gallagher if you had him, and especially that's good confirmation that. He thinks that they're going to keep playing the way they're playing now rather than, you know, him sitting deeper, Milivojevic being next to him, him having to do a bit more defensive work. It's good to see that he's uh, hopefully going to go forward a bit more. Yep. Um, so there was another player who I just wanted to mention briefly, which was Tierney. Um, I think we mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the podcast that if Tierney can uh, be an outlet then Arsenal are going to look better going forward. And obviously this week, Tierney got, I think, one or two assists. I think it was one. And he got a clean sheet as well. He got a couple of bonus points. I think he ended up with about 12 or 14 points, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. So I think he, he could be one to look at going forward. The problem is, is he going to stay fit? Is he definitely nailed when he is fit? And are his fixtures good enough? So, 
just to just to go over Arsenal's fixtures briefly, if I can get them up for a second. Uh, Arsenal's next few fixtures are West Ham, Leeds, Norwich, Wolves, Man City, Tottenham, Burnley, and then Wolves again. I don't know if that's a perfect fixture run for him. I suppose you could always get him in, bench him against the likes of. Well, then again, maybe it's not a good uh, good run for him because even now West Ham score against most people. Leeds score seem to be scoring against most people. Norwich look good under Dean Smith now. Wolves are playing well defensively, so may not get the attacking returns. Man City, Tottenham. It's not the perfect fixture run for him, but certainly his form would suggest that he's definitely one to watch going forward. But I just wanted to raise him as a point, really, because he's back, he's looking good, and I think a lot of people have said that if he can have a sustained period of attacking play, he just makes Arsenal so much better in, in an attacking sense. He just adds so much to their wing wing play. Um, but I think he's worth mentioning and considering going forward if he remains nailed. Have you have you managed to watch any Arsenal games or is that not really a team you've followed too much? I yeah, I didn't get to follow them um this week in particular, but he was somebody that I owned previously, which, you know, I kinda I'm looking <laughs> at it now and I'm like, um, wow, you know. because um, I hit him I had him a few weeks ago and obviously he got injured with main reason why I sold him. But that was the reason why I brought him in originally. Else, um, obviously, often he can get to a clean sheet. But he's also one of the most um, attacking wing-backs that Arsenal have. And definitely one of his roles is to get on the outside and make an attacking run. He usually took cross. So his main um, mode of attacking in terms would be a system of crosses and um, those balls in, in behind defence, especially when, when he makes that overlapping run. Um, so yeah, and I'm glad you, you mentioned him because he's definitely somebody I might revert to now that I um I I'm in a position where my team is shaping up to be something and I can roll with for a long run. Um I'm liking how the direction is going. So definitely I might be looking to move somebody like a Livermento to TNE because I think their price range is very close and I have enough money in the bank where I don't need to really worry about price raises right now. So definitely, probably Liverman to the TNE might be an option um, for me personally. And yeah, I, I, I think for, for his price, definitely, I think he's 4.9, if I'm not mistaken right now. Um, he's definitely somebody who I think is worth bringing into your team. If you are looking for somebody who's going to get you some sort of attacking returns that could supplement a clean sheet return, but he's not somebody who I would bank on. That's probably the only thing. I think in that regard, it's it's definitely reflective of his price because he's not somebody like um, Maurice James or Rudiger who's paying for a, a defensive juggernaut like Chelsea or Diaz and Cancelo for City, where you can almost guarantee that if they don't return attackingly, attacking wise, they will get two defensive points like Trent and Cancelo and Diaz last week, where they all mm. um, didn't get any attacking returns, but Trent got a, a clean sheet and bonus points. Diaz and Cancelo both got clean sheets and Cancelo got bonus points as well. So it's not as nailed as those players, but he's definitely somebody who can come in with double digit returns like what he did last game week. And for his price, I think it's worth that risk. But he's not he's definitely not somebody who's gonna be um if he had three defenders, he probably would be the fourth that he would start. 
So that's the only thing with him. But I owned him before and I have this I don't see a reason why I wouldn't buy him again. Especially replacing somebody like Livermento who's playing for Southampton that's been conceding a lot of late. So yeah. Definitely. No, I fully agree. I think yeah. He just looks a really good player going forward more than anything. And Arsenal's fixtures aren't massively good. Um they're not they're not in the green for a long time, but they're also not in the red. They're just very very average. They play some hard teams, they play some easy teams, they play some middle of the table teams all at the same time. They're not they haven't got any really good fixture runs, but they also haven't got any particularly bad fixture runs either. So I think yeah. if he continues carrying on his form, he's definitely someone where you bring him in and just leave him. You don't kind of take him out you know he's going to get blank some week and you know he's going to smash it some other weeks so i think he's definitely one to look at and i suppose when we come on to maybe some transfers that we might want to make or you know having a look at the template or something like that we kind of have a look a bit more into him then and see if he fits into any of our teams or if we'd want to bring him in um just to, to kind of round the game week off then obviously there were a couple of i know we've touched on it briefly but there were a couple of benchings which well, I was going to say screwed a lot of people over, but actually they probably helped a lot of people a bit more than they screwed Lovely. people over, which was uh, Vardy and Benteke. Benteke's always been the rotation risk, and we knew that. I don't think many people have him at this point. I think it's probably just me, but um, yeah. he, he he's um, you know he's being benched a lot more than people would expect. Potentially, he's worth looking at at selling at this point. I don't know. Crystal Palace's good run of fixtures ends, I think, at game week 20. So you'd probably hold him until then, and then at game week 20, just, just get rid when they've got harder fixtures. But the, the Vardy benching, I think, surprised, probably frustrated a lot of people because it was against Newcastle. But then I think a lot of people probably got their Mbumo, their Gallagher points from the bench because Vardy didn't come on. So I think he's just another one to watch. Is it worth having, what is he, 10.3 or something million player? um, 10.6 million player as a rotation risk? Mm, I'd question it. I think you could upgrade to Ronaldo for a much better rotation risk player if that's that's the route you wanted to go down. Yeah. Yeah. So I I just thought I'd, I'd mention the benchings as well because... Those are the kind of things you expect over Christmas, but it's good to highlight the fact that those players seem to be being benched fairly regularly, and you have to question whether their minutes are worth it. Yeah. But um, let's move on to the cup. How did you get on in the cup this week? Well, um, thankfully, because I I know some friends who also had some great weeks, just as I did. And lost their cup tie, which you know is I know. Yeah. We're sorry, that's Stinger. Tough. We know you did. <laughs> that's that's oh. the one I run to. That's the one I'm referring to in particular. Because he got yeah. I think he got eighty five average minus eight. So he got um seventy seven points, but um his opponent got ninety points. It's it's insane. Um, and it, that, it was a dead team as well, was it? I think. Or at least a, a an overall rank of about three million or something he said i think well, around like that yeah um so it's it's 
It's insane to see somebody um and I think the world number one FPL player is out to the cup as well. Yeah, he got knocked out. <laughs> so it's insane. Madness. Um but no, I had a I had slightly better luck. I, I played somebody who um played both Jimenez and Diaz and Cancelo, you know. Um you know how that went. He lost two points to Jimenez. His entire back line though was really, really great because he had a double up Liverpool and Man City, so that was four clean sheets across the board. Um and also own Madison, which is, you know, insane because Madison ended up with sixteen points. Um but he had Wood, Antonio and Ben Rama, which all blanked for him. And then he had White third on his bench with six points. So he missed out on some points there. But overall, I won um, this team that I played got 64 points and I ended up with 87. So it wasn't that tricky. I think in the early, like earlier in the game week, where especially when Leicester played and Madison returned, it was a little scary because of how much Madison returned. But once Gallagher got that big return for me in the end, it definitely solidified um, that cup tie for me. So all in all, it wasn't too difficult, but thank you, Gallagher, for, for those. <laughs> Gallagher and uh, oh, who was your other one? I can't remember now. Rafina um, off my bench. Rafina, yeah. No, do you know? Have you checked who you've got going forward? Next week's fixtures are now out. I have um, a Crystal Palace fan, ironically enough, or at least an Eze fan because the name of the team is Eze, does it? And he has Eze in his team, so um, I'm assuming he's very fond of Eze. <laughs> and <laughs> He got 71 points the last game week. His team is very interesting because he has... So, he's another one who got all clean sheets in his, in his back line. He actually has five defenders. Probably it's because of a substitution. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has White Van Dijk, Cancelo, Trent Alexander-Arnold, and Gabriel, who is also a sleeper. Um, probably could mention about him. Because he got 11 points last in that game. Um, in that yeah, game against... Yeah, against Southampton, along with his clean sheet. And he even got a yellow card in, in amongst that too. And still returned to 11. He also, has, he also has Dennis, which is interesting, and Vardy. But he still has Antonio and Ben Rama, which is very interesting. A lot of people still have this double up of Antonio and Ben Rama. It's probably because of the fixtures. That's mainly probably reasons why. But he seems as if it's a, it's a live team. He has a... Uh, he has an issue going forward with this game week in particular with Cancelo, which probably is something I want to use to my advantage because I don't own Cancelo. Um, and a lot of people have to either bench him and find an alternative or, you know, find a way to work around the defense without a Cancelo for a week. Um, and especially with City's fixtures, I, I'm pretty sure people would want defenders from that team going forward. So I'll see how that goes. Um, so yeah, it looks like a it looks like an active team. I can't say it's I don't think it's a dead team. So hopefully um the luck goes my way again next week. Definitely. My um my opponent for this because uh, I, I also won the cup. I, I won um sixty five fifty five although my opponent took a minor Say um, he scored eighty-one points. So he had Gallagher, Dennis, 
Ronaldo, Alexander Arnold, Rudiger, Edison. Uh, so yeah, a lot of players returning. He's yeah. currently rated. 456,000 in the world. So he's not a bad manager. Definitely a yep. decent manager. Yep. Um, and he's got the front line, which I envy, which is Dennis King and Ronaldo. Um, but unfortunately, he's also got um, Saka, Dotter, Salah, James. And he's got Regulon, Smith Rowan, Oma Bamadele. So he's definitely got a good team. And I think. I'll be honest, I, I think there's every chance I'm sitting here on Friday telling you guys that I lost the cup. Because I think yeah. he's probably got the more informed team right now. He's obviously got the Gallagher, the Rudiger, Ronaldo, which is the, the three that I'm really, really worried about. Um, obviously, I'm going to have Dennis and King myself, so it's just going to be a case of whether Rudiger, Gallagher, Ronaldo can outscore some of my... Mid-priced premium mids, you know, Bernardo, Gundogan, Bowen, Benteke. You know, it's hard to rely on those players because they're not exactly the most informed right now. So I think I'm going to have to hope for a pretty good week here. Um, but yeah, I, I thought we should touch on the cup because I think it's it's fun, isn't it? And I think this week is the scoring for. England Cup as well so obviously where I'm English I'm, I'm entered into the England Cup as well so that so starts that's... in week 18 that's interesting so okay I was going to ask about that because the Trinidad and Tobago Cup doesn't start until game week 24 any reason why there are different dates for the for these cups? yeah because the England Cup well the Trinidad and Tobago Cup has less people in it so yeah. It will be a factor of eight less people. Basically, as far as I can tell, the Eng- England has... Um, well, actually, I don't know. It must be between two million and four million managers from England. Um, whereas, you know, if you keep half in that until you get to game week 24, you're probably looking at... I don't know, maybe 250,000 managers from Trinidad and Tobago. That might sound about right. Um, do you know possibly okay. where you rank in the Trinidad and Tobago rankings at the moment? I'm 248th. 248th, okay. That that kind of makes sense, to be fair. Um, and annoyingly, I'm 39,000 overall, but I'm still only 11,000 in England. Wow. Um, yeah. I'm not in the top 500 for West Ham either. So, you know, you can have a good rank and you can still be way out of it in your your country's league and your team's league. Interestingly, yeah, I did notice that your opponent, by the way, is a Chelsea fan, not even a Crystal Palace fan. He's in the Chelsea fan league. Well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, because his name is it's probably as a, as a fan, then, probably. Yeah. Not too sure. Yeah, but um, even with the cups that you were mentioning. Um, so another question that's in the same vein. I've seen now that there are cups for the middle league, mini leagues as well. Yes. Um, that's, that's is a it new that, feature that started this year? Yeah. So is it that? Um, is it like a is it a knockout every wrong or is it? Um, how is that 
working on in particular. It, it's the same it's format as the overall cup. So the less number of people you have in your mini league, the later in the game weeks that the cup starts. So mm-hmm. imagine that, um, you know, overall, I think there's about 8 million players. And if you, so obviously each week, half the teams get knocked out. So if you work it backwards in the, in game week 38, you'll have two teams left game week 37, you'll have four teams left. So you can work that all the way back up to, I think, 8,100,000-ish. And that's game week 17. 16, sorry, which is this week just gone. And so if your mini-league, keep dividing that number by two until you get to where your mini-league is, and that's the game your mini-league will start in. Right. Um, But the administrator of each mini-league has the option to create the cup. Uh, They don't choose the starting game week. All you do is say in the in the settings you say um, I want a cup for this week. Oh, sorry, I want a cup for this mini league. Save and then the cup will automatically start in the correct game week. But you've got to do it soon, otherwise you'll probably miss the start of your mini league's game week. Okay, yeah, that's I, I, I think it's a fun little thing to do. Anyway, I think it's an enjoyable little. I think they they've only ever had the overall cup, and now I'm entered in six different cups, and I actually have a chance of winning some of them. So, is there what option? Is, is that option available for the administrators to create the cup, or um, currently, or is that something they had to have done from the beginning? No, it's there. It's there currently. Yep. Yeah. So if you just go into settings now and um, click. Can't remember what the exact wording is, but it's something along the lines of create league cup. I think it says, right? And then there it gives you the option, and you just press save, and off you go. I'm just, just trying to do it now quickly. I'm, I can't. Yeah, I can't find it right this second. But when you administer your league, you'll you'll be able to see it. Oh, a few mini leagues, I think I'd probably do that. Before. Okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So, let's... I, I just want to briefly touch on um, the template and kind of... Because there's a few rules that I've noticed since the Christmas period has started, and I feel like this rule kind of applies to all seasons that I've played, but I've never really thought about it before. So I was just going to mention the fact that um, the template now seems to have changed given the midweek fixtures. And it makes more sense. And I think before the midweek fixtures started, we did touch on it as well. But there are a lot more kind of goals being scored against the big teams now that they're rotating. Yeah. Compared to the starting game weeks. So I think for sure, in game week number one, there's always a lot of goals. There's three get there's three weeks of the season where there's a lot of goals always. Game week one, game week thirty eight, Boxing Day. So those three fixtures you want to play all your strikers on definitely. Um, thank you for that. So, no, that's okay. They're they're in general the highest scoring matches of the season. Um, I think game week thirty eight is the highest scoring one. I don't think there's much difference between 138 and Boxing Day is just below that. Um, I just wanted to touch on the fact that 
between game weeks two and the Saturday game of the first period of midweek games. So this year it was game week 14 that was the first, that was the Saturday before the midweek fixture started. You're better off going with players who are at their price because they're not necessarily so nailed. So we see the likes of um, Cancelo, James, Chilwell all doing really well because they're undervalued because they're valued because the way they are because in the previous season they only got a certain number of minutes or they don't return quite as highly during the midweek games because they get rested more you know they pick up injuries they concede more goals so during that game week two to game week 13 period you've got defenders who are keeping far more clean sheets on average than what you'd expect. So those are the times you want to be targeting those really attacking wing-backs, I think. And it, and it makes sense because you've got you've got a whole week between games. Most of the time, if you have a cup in the midweek, the second team are playing or, or you know, in West Ham's case in the Europa League, they played their entire under-23 team in there. Um, the, the first team will get a rest. And... When midweek fixtures start, you find that they're rotating the first team in game weeks that we're trying to compete in in fantasy. So you'll get, let's say, game week 15 was midweek and we found that a lot of players were rotated, which is kind of what everyone expected anyway. But that's the time when you then move from your rotation risk wingbacks to your solid defenders your cheap, solid defenders who are having good fixture runs. So say, for example, um, we'll take we'll do James and Chilwell to Rudiger, for example. So obviously Rudiger is one of the only players who can play in his position. So it would make sense that you'd go with Rudiger because even if he scores, uh, sorry, even if he concedes, he's still going to get the 90 minutes played. Um, someone like... Obviously, at the moment, James and Sherwell, James and Alto probably are nailed. But you kind of... How do I explain it? So, yeah, basically, because Rudiger's a bit more nailed, he's more likely to get more returns through the rotation period, effectively. Right. But it, it was just an observation I had, really, because... At the moment, it seems like big at the back has now gone to big at the midfield. Um, striker's still not performing, which I think will change fairly soon. But big in the midfield seems to be the way to go just because so many teams are rotating and lots of teams are coming into good fixture runs. So it's just something I noticed. But yeah, take it with a, a pinch of salt, I suppose. You can You can kind of go back and see it for yourself maybe and we'll see how it goes as well because it's obviously a lot more rotation period to come a lot more midweek games to come um shall we move on to some players who have nice fixtures and good form um and i've picked one out here specifically which we'll start on um and it's a man city player just for you um raheem sterling have you been watching him recently and how do you think he's been playing i have you see this is 
And oh, this is the problem. Callum knows when to start. Just bring a man fifty players and I'll go on with ease. Um, but no, it's 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 been interesting because as somebody who's been following City throughout uh, this this last decade, you you kind of notice trends when it comes to players who've been with us for probably more than three four years. And Sterling is one of those players who, for me, I've criticized a lot. I'm not gonna lie. But I've also noticed that he's somebody who, when he plays consistently, will get you returns. And that's the sad thing about me and my Man City players. Because look at Bernardo Silva, for example. Bernardo Silva has been this player, which is, and it's really interesting to see the accolades he's getting now. But he's been this player since we acquired him. You know, the engine, the, the heart of the midfield, somebody who's going to run box to box, find himself in attacking positions just as well as he'll find himself in defensive positions. One of the best dribblers on the ball um, in, the, in the game right now. And definitely somebody who knows when to make the right decision. And it's just that because the opportunity presents itself where he's consistently playing, he has a much more defined role in that a lot more players who would have been playing in the roles that he has to serve in now are injured or now coming back from injury. He has a lot more freedom to do what he does. And what he does is almost everything. And that has been shown in his results on the pitch. The same goes with Sterling. I think my thing is that once Sterling sees that Pep is going to play him and play him consistently, he's going to return for Pep because Pep has found the system with which Sterling would reproduce the most. And that is a system that you get the ball to the byline as fast as possible and as quick as possible with uh, the least amount of passes. Use Sterling's pace to get in and behind the defenders and either use Sterling to finish or use Sterling to assist whoever's going to finish. And that has benefited him a lot within recent years because he not only has been able to provide a lot more goals, but score many now. And I think he just scored his 100 Premier League goal with that penalty against um, Wolves. And, mm. and you don't score 100 Premier League goals unless you know what you're doing. And I think Peppers has to take a lot of praise for that. But he also has to take some of the responsibility when it comes to his uh, dip in form. And it's simply due to the fact that he wasn't playing. So I think this this increase in form and the consistency with which he's scoring is as a result of him just playing once. One. Two is him starting. And three is him taking up those attacking positions that he is favorable in. Um, and I guess with the false nine system, he is going to find himself in the middle. Like that Cancelo assist when he when Cancelo played the outside of the boot pass, um intricate pass as that at that, and all Sterling had to do was guide it into the net. That was as a result of Sterling playing through the middle. So I think it's a runner form that people can notice. My only thing is that I would have bought him had I um, had the funds for it, but I just don't trust any City player valued at $8 million, um, with the rotational risk that comes with it. That is my only concern with somebody like Sterling because he's very expensive. And for somebody like Sterling, the same can be said for Vardy, you don't want to be spending that amount of money on one individual player who might very well be in form, but always has that high risk of being benched just because they're rotational, not because of anything else. Because Sterling will be 100% fit, no injuries. You'll see the presser and people say nobody's injured. Full strength squad. And he'll be just as likely as somebody like Zenchenko to be benched just because he's not nailed in a city squad that's usually his name. So he is in great form. He is returning. For those who jumped on him, um, saw something and I didn't. 
and brought him in at the correct time, that's a really great move. But it is something that you're going to have to move up, move forward with the green assault because I, I can't guarantee that he's going to continue starting with people like um, Foden and um, De Bruyne both coming back to full health. And um, Ferran Torres, hopefully, within the near future, coming back as well. So, you know, it's always going to be a toss-up between him and Jesus and Mares for who starts on top. So, I guess that's up to the person who's interested in buying him to know if you're going to go on this runner form or if you're just going to play it safe and probably not risk the rotation. No, that makes sense. I think, because I was under the impression that Raheem Sterling was a left winger, so would he necessarily get affected by De Bruyne, Jesus and Mares returning or playing in the team? Would he not take the nope. place of um, Torres, Grealish, Foden? Right, so... The last name you mentioned there is probably the reason why he has been um, a rotational player of late. It's the meteoric rise of Foden. And I guess it's because of Foden's versatility as to Sterling's monotony, if you want to put it like that, is what is beating Foden to, to the starting game. In that Foden is able to play as a left winger, but he also is versatile enough to play through the middle consistently and um, as a left midfielder. While Sterling is a more of an out-and-out winger with the ability to strike, but isn't as comfortable um, through the middle as he is on the wing. So, that is definitely one of the reasons why he has not been as consistent. Um, I think of late, though, probably in comparison to like Grealish, he probably will be higher in the pecking order because he has been returning a lot more than Grealish. And Grealish is somebody who is, as, I, as I've said consistently, I, you know, Transfer didn't make sense originally. He still doesn't make sense. You know, you would have trusted Pep to find a way to make it work, but it hasn't been working for Grealish. In that Grealish is somebody who has to have the attacking midfield and the strikers revolve around him. He moves at a very slow pace. He slows the play down. He takes his time. He makes intricate passes. He takes um, a lot of touches, but he makes um, the moves and he usually is the think tank of the, of the attack. So usually when the ball gets to Grealish, it either slows down or he'll play an intricate pass to his striker who would be in on goal or he himself will find himself an opportunity to shoot. But that wouldn't happen at like, you know, a speed at which Pep would play at. Because Pep plays at very quick football, intricate high-speed passes and movement of the ball. That's something that Grealish doesn't normally do. So comparing those two, I would say Sterling is someone who would start before him just based off a recent form. But... In the body of work recently that Foden has done in comparison to Sterling and the, the trust he has been put in because now he's a starting player in both the Premier League and Champions League teams, I I would struggle to see how Sterling starts in a team that has Foden in it, a fully fit Foden. Um, we saw what happened when City played Chelsea in the Champions League final and, still, and Pep tried to work with Sterling and Foden in the same team. It, it didn't. Um, so... I guess in that regard, he isn't really affected by people like Jesus who can play on the right and play through the middle, Amarez who plays on the right um, and isn't really in his position. But Foden in particular is probably the reason why he wouldn't start as consistently as he was before Foden. And when he had people like Sane who was out and out a left winger, which meant Sterling was out and out the right winger before Mares, um, and before we had an overload of um, false nines. And we had a, a, a set striker. That's when he was playing consistently. But now it's really up to, I guess, Foden's fitness at this point. 
definitely. Just to just to point out, I suppose that the fact that Sterling having five games in a row has had on his um, stats. I know I don't, I don't want to go too deep into the stats, but he's had an an XG over the last five. He's been the fourth most informed player, and that's behind um, Alexander Arnold, Salah, and Jota. So that kind of tells you the level that he's currently playing at when he's getting consistent starts. So over the last five games, he's had an XG of 2.5, which is, well, it means he should be getting a goal every other game. Um, He's had an expected assists of 1.85, which is just under an assist every other game. Um, He's played nearly every minute of every game. I think he's got... I think he got taken off early in one or two of them. Um, and he's had three bonus points over that period as well. And that puts him... So you've got Salah, Salah Alexander-Arnold and Jota as the front three easily. But then the top of the pack of the next lot is, is Sterling right up there. Um, he's up there with the likes of Ramsdale recently, uh, Cancelo, Ronaldo, Bernardo Silva. He's ahead of all of those types of players who have all been performing well and we're all talking about. So I think, I, I suppose it's hard because obviously, as you said, Foden's returning, but as Sterling's playing so well, does that mean that Pep keeps faith in him? Or does that mean that he gets rotated a little bit more but maybe starts the next couple? I don't really know. And I suppose, I suppose no one really knows, do they, realistically? Yeah. Uh, I guess there is a, a case to be made for him starting more as he's returning more but again i mean i've seen where people like Mares at the beginning of the season was returning and getting benched he even came off the bench against norwich after having scored in, in the previous game and scored off the bench and then continued to get benched jesus was yeah. our most informed player at the beginning of the season he's getting benched so it's it, i don't think there's a correlation between immediate form and playing time for pep I think it's more of whatever he deems necessary for the um, opponents. What I can say, though, is that he's most likely to start against a team that doesn't necessarily have as quick um, a defense as many teams. Um, and usually he's very viable to start against a team where they, they're known to concede a lot of crosses. So if, for example, you can identify a defense that okay is known for, for conceding a lot of crosses and a lot of chances from crosses um, or for wing play, then he's a bigger chance to start than somebody like Foden, who doesn't usually play the crossing game, but would usually shoot if he has a shooting chance, or squares the ball, who doesn't usually play the crossing, doesn't usually make overlapping runs. Then he can make an argument. But again, maybe you'll be spinning, topping, but that's a, a phrase we use here. You'll be going back and going in circles if you really try to use those things to determine what that thinks, because really nobody knows what he thinks at some point. Definitely. No, that makes sense, and that's that's really good insight. To be fair, um, there is a couple of other players that I suppose are worth mentioning. Really, in so so just looking at players who have really good form right now, but also come into really good uh, fixtures. So a lot of these are Liverpool, Man City players. So you've got obviously Alexander Arnold, Salah, Sterling, Jota. Uh, those are the four we've mentioned. Robertson's been been getting a lot of good form recently. He's obviously had a couple of assists over his last couple of games. Yep. Um, Matip and Van Dijk are, you know, if Salah goes to 
well, Salaran Mane go to Avcom, you're going to have another space free for another player. Do you then take Alexander-Arnold, Jota and another defender? Possibly. Van Dijk is the third highest scoring defender, I think, this season. And no one's talking about him because no one has any room for any Liverpool players. You've basically got Alexander-Arnold, Salah and Jota completely nailed. Those are the three, so people can't talk about Van Dijk and Mane because no one has room for them. Um, but just an, another couple to mention. Uh, Konza for Aston Villa has been very good. Um, he's had one expected goal. Sorry, he's expected to, if he starts, be a really big attacking threat in the, in the next game against Norwich. Um no, I think I've always thought when he's played, he's been a really good player. He's he's a threat from corners, and his his stats back up fairly recently. And he, like I said, he's got Norwich next, and his next couple are okay, so could be worth a consideration. And some other ones are Tompkins for Crystal Palace. I don't want to keep going on about Crystal Palace defenders because I've got Guayhi and he hasn't kept a clean sheet since. And I know a lot of people have got Guaita as well. Um, but Tompkins has been good both ends, and when Palace do keep a clean sheet, I imagine he's going to be in the bonus points. Uh, and McGinn for Aston Villa, I think he's got good good fixtures coming up, and he's been in fairly good form as well, given his statistics. So just some players to think about, have a look at. Obviously, McGinn, Tompkins, um, Konza. Got Pope in there as well, but you don't really want to be making a keeper transfer. And then just the City and Liverpool defenders, because they've got such good fixtures coming up. Um, let's move on to our teams going forward. So have you got any idea of what transfer you might make this week? Yes. So... um. As I've been listening to the almighty and all-knowing Callum, I've been trying to follow his advice. And one of the things, <laughs> one of the things that I've been trying to do is um, not use hits unnecessarily, which I have been using for the past um, few weeks. And I think that's what saved me, especially last week, um, the fact that I didn't have to use a hit. Um, so with that in mind, I was planning originally to sell Vardy who currently on my squad, because I know the, the prices change depending on what time you bought him. So on my squad right now, Vardy is valued at 10.6 million. And I currently have 3.7 million. Livermento's yellow flag, do I see that? A gashed leg. Wow. Okay. Livermento was... playing. Yeah. And that's, that's just now, because he was yellow flag just a minute ago. Yeah, he wasn't. He, that that must have been in the last ten minutes, ten fifteen minutes, because I checked your team just <laughs> fifteen twenty minutes ago when we were talking about cup opponents, and um, he wasn't yellow flag then. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. He is he, I'm assuming he'd probably be on your bench anyway, though, right? No. Well, he was starting for me against Crystal Palace because Crystal Palace and nice. Hmm. Because Rafina, Rafina's benched and Wilson is benched. So that's four, yeah, four fourteen, yeah. Okay. That's why he sat. Mm, I do not want to start with Fina Anderson. I'll look into that. I'll, I'll look. Yeah. Into that. So you've but, obviously got your bench now of well, 
idea, I suppose right now you'd have four players on your bench, wouldn't you? Rafinha, Livramento, uh, Wilson, Omabamadele. Right. So now I suppose you need to transfer one of them out to a playing player. I suppose right now, obviously, the Livramento injury being fairly fresh might not have a plan immediately. So shall I go to my team while you have a look at your team? Yeah, you can go ahead. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah, so, so at the moment, um, I've got Ramsdale, Alexander-Arnold, James and Gawaihi. Um Ramsdale plays West Ham, although I don't have a backup keeper. And to be honest, I wouldn't bet on West Ham scoring either. Um, Alexander-Arnold, well, Liverpool play Newcastle. Uh, Chelsea play Everton and Crystal Palace Gwaihi plays Southampton and I've got Josh Trinsala again Newcastle, Bernardo and Gundogan who played Leeds at home and Bowen who's playing Arsenal away and I've got Dennis playing Burnley away and Benteke playing Southampton at home uh, on my bench I've got Backman who's playing Burnley again I won't put him in for Wilson no matter what uh, for Ramsdale sorry no matter what Ramsdale's fixtures are like. I think Ramsdale will just stay in because he's just playing out of his skin at the moment. He's getting bonus points and stuff, so I, I don't want to risk him. I've got Wilson on my bench as well. He's playing Liverpool, but I'm thinking he's probably the one I'm going to get rid of this week for Josh King. Although, to be honest, I'm fairly happy with my team to the point that what I might do is just roll a transfer. I'm I'm... I don't really see a problem with my team. I've got Cancelo, who's red flagged. He's out for a game. He's only suspended for one game, so I'm not too worried about him. Unfortunately, he misses Leeds, but Leeds seem to be scoring against everyone, so I'm also not too worried about that. It means that Kyle Walker and um, Zinchenko are most likely to play, or maybe Kyle Walker and Ake, maybe, but I would have thought Zinchenko. Um, Yeah, probably would be him. Yeah, I'd have thought it'd be... I can't see Ake starting there unless they're really get hit by an injury or something. Um, and obviously, he's going to come back then for the Newcastle game, which I'll be playing him again for, so I, I'm definitely not going to sell him right now. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, I've also got Alonso against Everton, and yeah, that's that's where I'm at at the moment. I'm thinking I'll probably put Alonso on for Bentec... Well, no, maybe not. I'll think about it a bit more, but I'm thinking at the moment I'll probably roll a transfer and just go with this team. Just because just if there's a COVID outbreak, say next week, we know we've got rumours of there being a Man United um, incident involving COVID. We've got news of a Norwich incident involving COVID. And to be honest, given this winter period, who knows what next week will bring. There's no point in me spending transfers at the moment if I'm going to be benching the player anyway. Because if I bought in King right now, realistically, who am I going to replace him with? I can't even swap him with, you know, Gwaihi or something because I've only got three playing defenders in the team. So that'll take it down to two. I could put him in for Bowen against Arsenal, but Bowen's in good form. And Arsenal are going to think they can go and beat West Ham. And hopefully that gives Bowen a bit more space behind. Uh, Bernardo and Gundogan, nah, they're playing Leeds at home. Benteke, I think he's rested last game, so I think he'll start this game. Yeah, I think I think I'm leaving my team, and I'll roll my transfer this week, and I'll just have two free transfers next week. I 
think that'll be my plan. Have you have you had a look at your team any further? Yeah, because this throws a fork in what I was planning to do. So what I was planning to do was originally sell Vardy for Ronaldo would have been a straight swap. Because as I mentioned earlier, I have 3.7 in the bank. So that's mm-hmm. more than enough for me. I could I could even afford to buy Salah now if I didn't have him. Um, but yeah. now that there's this chance, this injury, what I would have done, because as you mentioned, there's a rumor that the Manchester United game might be called off. I would have gone. I might have gone between Smith Rowe. It would have been between Smith Rowe, Gallagher, and Rafina to Bernardo Silva. With Gallagher's recent form, I probably wouldn't have gone with him. So it would have been between Smith Rowe and um, Rafina to Bernardo. Because I really want a Man City midfielder in my midfield. But as it is. I can't feel, I wouldn't be able to feel any level that I would be comfortable with. Because right now, I would have started Livermento against Crystal Palace. With the hope of him getting a return outside of a clean sheet. But seeing that he is yellow flagged. You see, best case scenario is I would have started five midfielders. But because Rafina is playing Man City... I really don't want to have to play a, a midfielder that more, more than likely will get only two points. Are you, are you for, in terms of Rafinha, are you worried that he won't return or are you worried that he will return and Man City will then be hurt, who obviously is your team? No, I'm worried that he won't return. Okay. Yeah, I, because I, I, I immediately marked that game and Wilson's game against Liverpool as the games that I'm going to definitely bench them in. Even though Rafinha came off the bench last week with a penalty goal, I'm I'm still not going to risk jumping into thinking he's some sort of return to the team. And now I think officially the best defense in the league with Chelsea conceding to yesterday. Your your microphone appears to be cutting out quite a lot there. Could you? Just making sure you are aware of that. Yeah. I was stating that um Man City's defense of late have been has been very good. Even though they've let in a few consolation goals, they haven't been conceding a lot of leads and I don't expect that to continue. I don't expect that to change against Leeds. So even though Rafina has been in an attacking form, I don't expect him to get in on action against them. So that's my only concern. If I do do the transfer that I'm originally planning to someone to Bernardo Silva, then right now it'd have to be Rafinha so that I can field five midfielders and start three defenders. Mm-hmm. So I won't have to move Pepperento because I, I ideally didn't want to make a, a defender move until the week after, simply because I wanted to hit him on the fixtures now. Can you afford... um? Can you afford Rafinha to Bernardo Silva and um, Vardy to Ronaldo? Let me see. Um, so, Bernardo Silva. I don't think you will be able to. I think there's too mm-hmm. much between Rafinha and Bernardo Silva. How much I have left? 2.5. No, I can afford him. <laughs> I can more than afford you- him. But then, can you also afford Vardy to Ronaldo as well? 
Yeah, yeah. One and a four. Oh, okay. uh, well, I suppose yeah. that's an option that you can at least consider is that you can still do your uh, body to Ronaldo move. But then, who does Ronaldo play this week? I can't remember who I said. He, he they play um Brentford. Brentford, that Brentford. is a good game for Ronaldo. To be fair, yeah, Brentford. Um, remember, we the only reason that the only reason I haven't because I would have that would have been my transfer regardless of what happened with Liverpool this week. But because of the, it's only because of the COVID situation. That's why I'm hesitant on it as yet. Definitely, maybe it's a. Uh, well, then again, we probably won't know until the deadline, will we? That's what I'm waiting on. Yeah. So I suppose that's information that you at least have. I suppose maybe if you see that the the Man United game may not go ahead, you do someone like Rafinha to um, Bernardo Silva or whoever, whichever Man City player you want. Um, if not, yeah, Let's see what happens basically. Yeah, you see how the situation develops with COVID at least because. If you make an early transfer now, you might regret it, I suppose. Yeah. You might do one injured player to another injured player. Well, not injured, but not playing player. Shall we make some uh, predictions for this upcoming week? Um, And then call it there? Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Um, Let me get your fixtures up immediately. Right, so for game week 17, the first game, as we mentioned, obviously, unless otherwise advised, is Brentford Manchester United. I think I can go first with this one. Um, Manchester United of late has still have not been convincing me. I mean, they're getting they're getting the results. They have been keeping clean sheets, but I mean, against a team like Norwich, I really would have expected a, a Manchester United attack. To have produced more goals, and as it stood, it really looked as if Norwich should have scored. Um, but De Gea made some incredible saves. With that being said, um, Brentford's defense doesn't really convince me that they will keep out a Manchester United attack. That seems to be. I mean, I don't even want to see it seems to seems to be working, but hopefully, will be improving on the Nick. Um, so that that being said, I probably would predict a one 0 victory victory to Manchester United. Knowing full well that I could probably turn into 3 0 or even a draw. But I'm going to go with 1 0 to Manchester United. No, that's fair. Um, I'm going to say 2 0 for my prediction for Brentford Manchester United. 2 Manchester United, that is. Yeah, I think that Manchester United, the more they play under Rangnick, the better they'll be. So I'm predicting them to at least start scoring some goals, maybe keep a clean sheet or two. So let's see how that one goes. The next fixture is Norwich Aston Villa. What do you think about that? Mm. Now, oh, and this is the interesting thing because these both both of these teams have markedly improved defenses under new managers. So you know what? I'm gonna go nil all because I think that their defenses are gonna rule the game. And with the format they've been showing up late, I don't think either team will be able to break down the other. So you're saying no, no. Nil nil to Norwich and Aston Villa. That's fair. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna go with one nil to Aston Villa because I think 
Aston Villa will just about outscore Norwich. But like you said, I think it'll be a very close game. Um, I think both teams will defend really well, but I just think the attacking presence of Aston Villa will just about get them through. Um, the next game after that is Manchester City against Leeds. Mm. Um, with the form that City have been producing, and I think Pep announced today that they have a fully fit team, which is a very good encourage, um, encouraging sign for us. Um, I would want to go and say that we win that game comfortably, two 0 Um, I'm pretty sure Pep is gonna assign defensive tasks to shut down with Mina, and I think once we do that properly, we should be able to quiet in any um, attacking threat we need to have at this point. So I'm going to say 2-0 to City. 2-0 to City. I think that's completely fair. I... I'm going to back I'm going to back City to uh, Leeds to score just because I think Cancelo being out may be a bigger impact than what it may seem. I think the last time that Man City played Walker right back, Zinchenko left back, they conceded two goals. So... I still think Man City will win. I'm going to say 3-2 to Manchester City. Mm, okay. Big, big scoreline, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, Brighton Wolves. Mm, this seems... This has a one written all over it, but for who? You see, the thing is... I don't want to always back Wolves to keep the clean sheet because they've really shown me that they are able to be defensive stalwarts. I mean, against Liverpool and Man City, they only considered two goals each. One was a 90th, 95th minute winner and the other was a penalty. And, and the other, the second one in particular, was a 10 men for the majority of the game. So I'm going to back them to be able to keep a clean sheet against Brighton and I'm going to say 1-0 because I think that they will have enough attacking presence to get a goal. So I think one down to Wolves. One down to Wolves. Okay, I'm I'm going the other way. I'm going one down to Brighton. I think. Um, yeah. I don't know why. I just feel like because Brighton are the home team that maybe they'll get one up on Wolves. Both have been really good defensively, so I could definitely see it playing out as a really boring nil nil. Um, I just think that one team will score, and. I'm just backing that to be the home team more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, Burnley versus Watford. Hmm. I think I'm gonna go two one to Watford. I'm just gonna trust Ranieri here and his attacking um, his attacking identity in Watford. I think they're gonna be able to score more on one against Burnley. I think because Watford have not been defensively solid, I do back Burnley to get a goal back, but I think Burnley and Watford... What scoreline did you say? 2-0. Um, 2-1. 2-1 to Watford. 2-1 to Watford. Okay. That makes sense. I've, I've gone with um, one all because I think both teams will score, but I don't think there'll be a winner in there. I'd like to be proved wrong because I'd like that to be a good game, make us think about the Watford assets a bit more, but We'll see how that goes. Crystal Palace, Southampton. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go extreme here and say two 0 
Can I move the extreme to nil to Palace? I really would love Gallagher's form to continue. I think Fiera's finding something that's working offensively for Crystal Palace. Um, the defense seems to be clicking as well. And hopefully with this new system, with Gallagher being more attacking, it provides a lot more goal opportunities for the team in on it. So two nil to Southampton. I'm to Palace, sorry. To Palace. I was gonna say your yeah. your your one's not that extreme because I went three nil. <laughs> I, I I think Palace nice. will score a lot of goals against Southampton and uh just especially given the fact that they're trusting a forty year old Willy Caballero. I think I I personally I think Crystal Palace may run riot at that Southampton defense. I don't think they've got the defensive presence at the moment to to deal with it. Um, Arsenal versus West Ham. Mm. I'm going to go one all, a very exciting one all. I think both teams have the ability to score, um, but I don't think for some reason there might be a, a winner in this game. I think both offenses will have. Um, very a lot of opportunities, but I think one all will be the score line for that game. I don't know. I definitely think that's fair. Maybe I should have gone first for the uh, West Ham game. I forgot. Yeah, um, that's you guys idea. <laughs> I've I've gone with um two 0 to Arsenal because West Ham have a lot of their defense not playing at the moment, and Arsenal look quite good going forward, especially with Tierney back. And I can't see with Tierney being there. Ramsdale, Tommy Asso and White all be in fairly good form that West Ham might even score but we can hope for a Bowen a Bowen masterclass but yeah I, I think this one will probably be 2-0 to Arsenal uh, the mm. next game is Leicester Spurs hmm I know Leicester have a knack for scoring against I'll I'll go first with this one because I've already written my prediction down. So I've said nil nil as my prediction. Um, okay. I just think that Leicester, with the form that they've just been in, might not concede, and I I can't see really Tottenham wanting to concede. I can see it being a very defensive based game. Leicester will probably do the more aggressive plays. It could be one nil to Leicester, but yeah, I, I. just Leicester haven't convinced me defensively recently either, so I think both teams are just trying not to concede. So that's why I've said no, no. I think I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to go. <laughs> let me go. Let me go extreme here and say two nil to Leicester. I think. Um, I think Leicester have. I like the the attacking identity they they showed against Newcastle. Now I'm not saying that Tottenham's defense is on Newcastle's level, but I think. Leicester's confidence goes over to this game and they find a way to make inroads and make them quickly. Um, and then with the amount of stoppages in play, you know, snowy pitches and COVID outbreaks at Tottenham, I think they're going to be a little bit out of form and they weren't able to train all the days they, they had available. So that might show up on the pitch a little bit. And then with people isolating due to COVID, that might be of some drips in their, in their preparation. So I think all that being said, Leicester might come out on top 2-0. No, definitely. I think that's, yeah, that's probably a, a fair shout, to be fair. Um, Chelsea-Everton? <laughs> now, I was going to say something nil to Chelsea, but I don't know. Obviously, Chelsea haven't been keeping those clean sheets. 
But I, I, I don't see Chelsea scoring. I mean, Everton scoring. Mm. I'm going to go, yeah, let me go 2-0 to Chelsea because that's, that, I mean, on paper, that's exactly what I think, I would think is going to happen. Um, yeah. I think Chelsea find a way to keep a clean sheet and Tuchel makes it a mission to, to fix that defence. So I think 2-0 um, to Chelsea. I've also gone with 2-0 to Chelsea for exactly the same reasons. I, I could see Richarlison maybe getting one, but yeah, I think he'll... I think Chelsea will survive the storm, and I think... Um, and I think Chelsea will probably score a couple as well, maybe Mount or something like that, you know. Maybe one of the wing-backs, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Um, well, Liverpool-Newcastle. I think I could just go straight off the path here and say four nil, um, for reasons self-explanatory. Um, Newcastle yeah. just considered four against Leicester. I really wouldn't be shocked if that scoreline gets in excess of five. To be very honest with you, if especially if Jota is coming back and Liverpool are in the mood to attack, they can definitely be in for that. So four nil, um, for me. Interesting. So when I wrote down these predictions originally, I wrote down seven nil. Again, you know how um, that game against Southampton, they were so nearly... Uh, it was looking like they might have got the 7-0 and I predicted it last time, but I'm, I'm confident this time that Liverpool could smash Newcastle 7-0. Right. Salah is on his day. Jota's on his day. Henderson's on his day. All of them are on their day. Then Mane as well. Could be a, a real big scoreline, so I'm going 7-0 as my final prediction. Um, just as a, a why not throw it out there, see what happens sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so those are noted. Um, we'll probably call it a day there. Um, I look forward to the matches. Obviously, the deadline is 6pm tomorrow, so make sure you don't miss it. Um, are you doing your transfers now, or are you going to do them tomorrow after some tomorrow. Tea- Tomorrow, I'm definitely going to wait on Team News because that Livermento is going to be a deciding factor. And then I want to wait to see what happens to that United game as well, if I can get any information. Definitely. In uh, well, I'm, I'm 90% sure at this point I'm uh, going to roll a transfer, I think. I, I think it's safest with the COVID situation that's going on at the moment for me that I don't have any injuries well, any suspensions apart from the Cancelo one. Um, so, yeah. Let's see what happens. Um, we'll call it there. Um, and we'll pick this back up on Thursday or Friday. Um, thank you for listening, everyone. Much appreciated. Um, any comments, queries, discussion points, um, constructive criticisms that you have, feel free to send them our way. And... Uh, We look forward to catching up with you on Thursday. Well, possibly Friday, actually, uh, for the next game week. So thank you very much, guys, and I'll catch you guys later. Bye-bye, guys.